1: Good evening, everybody. Um, this evening, we are very excited to get kicked off with the AWS Architect Solutions, uh, Solutions Architect Associate exam, um, and we are pleased to uh, announce that we're going to be doing this for the rest of the month. Um, we've, we've got a very exciting series. Um, actually, I'm, I'm going to be uh, throwing myself to the wolves and, and presenting in a couple of weeks, too. But this evening, we've got the illustrious Nick Cole. Nick, how do you pronounce your last name, please?
0: Uh, Collier. Collier.
1: Thank you, sir. Nick Collier, uh, he's at vnickc, and so a couple of housekeeping notes before we get going. Um, we've got the VM, VM Underground opening acts starting. Uh, if, if you go to vmunderground.com, if you're going to VMworld, check it out. It's really fun. Um, I will be, uh, both Chris Malhoit and I will be monitoring the, uh, the Twitter hashtags and the live, live Q&A feed. So please feel free to ask lots of questions. I I know there's going to be a lot. I know I'm going to have some. Um, And uh, tonight's hosts are me, Chris Williams, at Mistwire, and Chris Malhoyt at mpbiz.com. So without further ado, because I know everybody wants me to stop talking, I'm going to give a over to Nick. All right, Nick, and you're good to go. All right. Let me uh, get things flying up over here. Huzzah. I can see your screen.
0: All right, good to go. Let's clear the Citrix Go to meeting. Oh, that'll clear the webinar. I don't want to do that. There we go. <laughs> All right, yeah. So thanks everyone for joining and uh you know pretty excited to uh, be here and thanks to the V Brownbank team for inviting myself and a number of my you know head colleagues on here to kind of you know really get started with this AWS solutions architect exam. You know, we're pretty excited, you know, I can say that you know, about probably eight of my colleagues are currently you know have taken or in Progress, you know, to take this exam. So it seems to be, you know, the, the hottest cert around right now, and you know, people are kind of moving up very quickly through these AWS certs. And I think that just kind of echoes, you know, the, the traction that AWS has got recently. A little bit about me, if anybody who doesn't know. So you know, 15 years in IT. I currently, uh, you know, I spent last six years actually in the cloud automation side. You know, I worked for TransUnion, the credit bureau, for a while, and then a catamaran, a pharmaceutical company. You know, leading a lot on the cloud and the automation side, and then the last two and a half years. You know, I really moved into a role where I, you know, help very large Fortune 100 companies. You know, my role at a head lead a lead a team of people that help them kind of embrace cloud and, and manage it successfully. Uh, also got a blog on the uh, the bottom left there. You know, definitely uh, check it out. And any code we you know I use here, I'll definitely make available for you. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I should put that in. So I love uh, love hearing from you guys on Twitter. Yep, no worries at all. Um, feel free to guess where I'm from at the end, but there's a there's a few clues for you there. You know, it seems to be the running joke these days, but. Uh, Let's get going. So, um, you know, I think there's a ton of content, you know, just on the V. Brownback site, you know, the link on the, uh, the left there, the professionalvmware.com, um, you know, there's the exam blueprint and then, you know, Chris Williams is helping host this, you know, here's some uh, some great study notes from uh, the material he's been going through, you know, definitely, uh, you know, I found it very handy, so highly recommend it. Uh, the exam blueprint itself, if you kind of pull it up, you know, I'll actually just uh, bring it up on the on the website here quickly so you can kind of see it. Um, you know, if you look through it, it doesn't give a, a lot of specifics, you know, it's, it's sort of the usual general IT knowledge and and various pieces you've got to cover. We're focusing today specifically on domain one. I'll zoom in on this a little bit more, but you'll see there's really four domains. Domain one, uh, designing highly available, cost-efficient, fault tolerant, scalable systems. Domain two, which I believe we're starting in September, right, Chris, on, on B Brown bag as well. You know, we'll, we'll kind of move into that, that series. Um, Domain 3 is data security, and then domain 4 is really around troubleshooting. But 60% of the actual certification is really focused on domain 1 here, which is you know, where we're going we're gonna to focus today. Um, if anyone is not aware of just the Amazon certs and where they fit, there's kind of, you know if you look at the left side of this diagram, we really have like the, uh, consider the solutions architect, you know, generally... I would say people that shift more to the kind of the left, if you will, if on, on kind of the infrastructure background. But, um, you know, you're going to learn more about the whole series of services in AWS. The certifications on the right, more associated, you know, more aimed, I should say, for the developers. You know, the developer associate one you know, is very much focused more on things like Elastic Beanstalk and, and other things where developers want to get up and running quickly as opposed to kind of the overall. And in the SysOps administrators um, associate, you know, that track, uh, is generally recommended that you kind of follow from left to right on the bottom. If you're going to go head for the uh, the SysOps one, but if you're just going to s- uh, stay in the Solutions Architect track, then you know you just you know start the uh, Solutions Architect Associate and then then move up to the uh, to the professional one. Huh. So with this part, the way you know again, domain one, we're going to focus on you know con- content may include the following: how to design cloud services, planning and design, monitoring and logging, and then familiarity with just a whole bunch of AWS technology. So as you'll see very shortly, we're gonna kind of give you the tour of the, of the AWS landscape. Uh, in particular, for part one, I'll kind of you know, show you how the series has been broken down. You know, we worked with the V the Brambrag team and you know, how we wanted to kind of carve this up. And so we are here, you know, top left, the beginning part of the series, architecture, overview, plan and design, you know we're going to cover you know more of the AWS concepts and then the planning and you know and I'm going to go into a couple of real world use cases at the end just from what we actually see customers implementing because I think you know it's one thing to get all this done on you know paper and book reading but hearing some real world examples at least for me always helps you know solidify things. Uh, next week Tim Carr is going to be going through HA versus cost, RDS versus EC2. Um, then we're on to kind of the, the subsequent ones after that, and Chris is speaking, you know, 824 there on, you know, some of the, the networking pieces in particular. Mm-hmm. So, let's kind of jump through here. Just Let's start off with the AWS platform, and I think um, this diagram, and you've probably seen this in other training modules for anyone that's kind of already, you know, started, started their certification training. Amazon divides everything up into these categories, and we're going to start from the bottom. We've got AWS Global Infrastructure. Then we've got networking, so that's going to be things like VPCs, et cetera, that we'll get into. Then we kind of keep going up the infrastructure layer. So if you see, we've got compute, storage, and content delivery network, and databases. Again, moving up, now we're into analytics, security and identity, management tools, and then further on up and up, and we'll kind of hit all these. I'm not going to go through all now because we're, we're going to hit more all in detail. Uh, but you can see you know, there's just a, a ton to go through. We're going to learn you know, at a high level. You know, some people call it like this this 10,000-foot view, right, of, of AWS and what all these services do. And, you know, and Amazon believes for the certification you just need to have a fundamental understanding at least of what these services are. Now, you may not use all of them. You know, I can say real world today I probably use about 15 of these probably at most that I've actually kind of worked with customers on. But, you know, you know on the app side you're going to use a very different mix than, say, people on in the infrastructure side. But the idea is that we need to know how they how they all come together um, so there's a lot to cover here you know I'd say just keep calm you know there's probably you know information overload in this co- in this course in particular I think particularly you know you know today as we kind of you know hit every single service one at a time um, but you know just, just keep calm and uh you know enjoy some tea and uh, I think we'll uh, we'll get through this pretty good. So let's start off with the uh the infrastructure layer and the first thing really to to cover is just uh <clears throat> excuse me just what uh, Amazon means by uh what we call um, availability zones and regions, right? So if you think of your regions, um, they're the number one thing to look at, first of all. And you can see, you know, we've got ton- you know a bunch of regions in America. So you've got kind of U.S. East, U.S. West that you guys are probably very familiar with. Um, the EU, you've got, you know, the Frankfurt and the Ireland, you know, regions there. South America's got them. Um, you know, all, o- all over the globe, basically. Currently, not a region in Africa, but um, hopefully uh, coming very soon. There's a lot of talk about a... Uh, a region in South Africa in particular, so hopefully, uh, hopefully that, will, that will be coming very soon. So those are the regions and you're generally going to use a region, you know, one could be latency requirements, the other could be regulatory requirements, you know, I think you know, just take the, uh, the recent Brexit vote in the UK, I mean it's a very good example now of, you know, maybe those EU regions, you know, aren't acceptable from a data locality standpoint, so you know, some companies are gonna have to move that you know, data into a UK region for example. Um, Availability zones, think of those more as, you know, individual, you know, isolated areas where, you know, you're gonna be, you know, where they could fail, and then you could you know, fail over to another availability zone. Think of them almost like, I wouldn't say necessarily a separate data center, but uh, you know, a separate, separate set of hardware, if you will, so you're, you're kind of covered. If that, if that availability zone goes down, you know, another one in the same region isn't going to go down. That's the, that's the way they're designed around there. And that's important. I'll get into some of the availability zone design and how you kind of do it around the, the actual applications, but you know, for now, just kind of, kind of be aware of that. Uh, you'll hear a term just AZ a lot. Um, that's the acronym um, for availability zone. Again, think of it, you know, generally as a data center, you know, for for the most part. And the other thing you'll hear a lot about is what's called edge locations, um, and these are they're all over the the globe basically, and they're basically cl- um, content delivery network endpoints uh, for CloudFront. So you might decide, okay, I'm gonna. You know, I host my data here but I want somebody to come into it from this endpoint and you'll use a uh, and you know you'll need to be aware of the edge locations for that when you're when you're architecting your your applications so um, so that's really kind of at, at the core. The other thing to think about just as a visual you know each region is completely independent right so if I just quickly log out here and you know if we go into the Amazon console just uh, find one that's open here and uh, if you look in the top right of the screen There's a drop-down. You can see we're currently in U.S. East. Each one of these is completely separate. So if I go into, say, U.S. East and I go to EC2, again, we'll come into some of these later on, you're going to see in here, as you know, my my instances. Now, if I go to another region, let's say the EU, into Ireland, just wait for it to pop up here. You know, we can see I, I don't see those instances there. So think of it as completely separated you know entirely you know and so when you're in the amazon console you're only going to see the items that are that are in your specific region Um, now if you scroll down if you look at the resources if you scroll down on the page the you'll see your overall service health and you'll see the availability zone status as well so like us east 1a 1c 1d 1e so there's four availability zones you know in us east that we can we can actually utilize there. The other thing that's important about availability zones also is, in some cases, Amazon may release new services or new features to a service. Maybe it's a a new type of instance in EC2, for example. Um, but they may not necessarily be available uh, in all of the availability zones day one. So it's something just to just to keep in mind. You know, you may actually have to use a specific availability zone to uh, to get a specific feature. But it's typically, typically more rare, but uh, but worth knowing. Um, so let me jump back to. Uh, the slides are from our. The other thing to know, um, you know, the availability zone is isolated, but they are connected through these low latency links as well. So, you know, it's not going to be a latency issue by using multiple availability zones. So, you know, one of the things I see a lot of is, you know, you might design an application with a with a database that replicates from one availability zone to another, like a read replica, uh, and you know that okay, if that availability zone goes down, the primary one. You know, you're going to have a pretty. You can be sure that the RTO and the RPO in the second availability zone will sufficient to kind of get you know get get your disaster recovery you know back online. And um, I believe Tim Carr is going to be going through some of that in the uh, the next session. Um, but that really kind of kind of covers those. Next on the list then, really is that uh, you know VPCs and uh, think of these as again kind of your own data center inside of Amazon's cloud. You know, so it's a virtual private cloud as the acronym. You'll create these, and then you can decide to, you know, provision provision into those specific VPCs. And I'll, I'll show you that in a little more detail um, when we get to kind of Amazon EC two provision. And Chris, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you're going through that in your, you know, in detail in your session how to kind of create one, right? In the, yes, in the that's, yeah, that's correct. Okay, cool. Um, Direct Connect. So I think the the next thing to know from a connectivity standpoint is you know, a lot of us just connect to Amazon through the internet today. You know, certainly when, when I was first experimenting with it, that was the main way. Um, I'd say when, when I talk to a lot of our customers, you know, there's two ways they do it. Right? Sometimes they go through the internet through some kind of secure tunnel, uh, or they do the direct connect. And it really just depends how mature they are. Um, so direct connect really is you know, connecting to AWS without you know, using the internet connection. Typically you'll, you'll have like a dark fiber connection and you'll work with the, uh, you know, the providers to kind of establish that. Next one is uh, Route 53 or Route 53, depending uh, depending (laughs) on where you come from. (laughs) And um, this one really, kind of a clue in the name, you know, anyway, it's uh, Port 53 is DNS, so they, instead of naming it Route 66, they uh, call it Route 53, Um, and apparently that is a you know, I heard from someone that's a legitimate like interview question as well. If you want I to heard
1: it. that too. I didn't. That, I didn't get that one though.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that makes or breaks whether you get hired, but uh, somebody <laughs> you're out. What? <laughs> okay, so networking. Right, let's jump into EC two and and some of the compute things. Yeah, so. I think the best way to think of EC2 is, you know, honestly, at first, just think of it like if you manage a VMware vSphere environment today or Hyper-V environment, these are your virtual servers that you can provision and so to get to EC2, again, I'll jump over to, to Amazon itself. Here's our dashboard um, that you can see and, you know, just to get to it, you can click this top left icon here, you'll see under compute, so these categories are following the exact same categories I'm going through in the, the PowerPoint presentation. And you'll see how we have Amazon EC2 for, you know, basically virtual servers in the cloud. Um, And essentially, they're just hosting it for you, right? Instead of you having to go and buy blades and storage and everything else, you know, Amazon's going to host these instances for you. Uh, To create one, it's simply a case of clicking the launch instance icon here. Um, And what you'll see, you know, there's a number of steps you go through. And I guess just to point out very quickly, you know, we're doing everything through the GUI here as well. Amazon has a full command line interface and API, you know, rich API set. So you know, typically, you know, when I think of cloud, I think of more, you know, ultimately when you're going to launch it in your business, you're going to create a service catalog and you're going to present Amazon services to your customers. You're not going to have them go into the, the AWS GUI you know, necessarily, but uh, it's worth noting that everything we do here, you know, I'd understand it from the GUI first and then look at you know cloud formation templates and things to actually um, actually provision instances. Um, but once you're in here, yeah, so let's say we want to launch a new EC2 instance. First thing we do is choose an Amazon image, right? So you know there's a whole bunch of them here, yeah, and you can see, you know, a number of them are free tier eligible. If you keep, you know, going down and, and looking at other services, you'll see some are, some you have to pay for. Um, but for now, you know, we'll just take like a Windows 2012 base in this case, and you can see the next thing it asks us is, okay, well, how do I, uh, how do I choose the instance, uh, instance type here? Yeah? So. Um, you know, in this case, you know, this free tier, I don't want to keep paying for the stuff, so, you know, typically in demos, we use free tier. But as you get, uh, you know, higher and higher, it's more CPUs, more memory, uh, etc., that you can basically consume. And and this brings up a good question, you know, when I, when I talk to a lot of customers, I used to, you know, in VMware, you know, you could give somebody, okay, they want three CPUs and four gig of RAM. You know, you can get very specific. Um, in Amazon, you basically pick in the sizes. So what I often you know, here people do from a if you're doing multi-cloud, like you're offering on premises and Amazon is try to offer the same what we consider t-shirt sizes, if you will. You know, so you can offer the same vSphere sizes as you offer Amazon sizes and kind of just guide them in the same world, you know, on premises and in the and in the public cloud. The other thing to know here as well is you'll see like the instance storage that you have have here, you know, elastic block storage there. And then you have kind of SSD options as well. So you can see there's a lot of flexibility. In just the, uh, the the types of instances that you can choose, but in this case, I'm just going to choose, you know, one vCPU, two, you know, to 2.5 gigahertz, Neon, one gig of memory, um, and then move on to the the next section here. I'm not going to go into all the detail of the networking yet because that is going to be covered uh, later on. Um, but number of no, number of quick things to cover though, just you know, the number of instances that you can you can launch and launch into potentially what's called an auto scaling group. So this is where you can say, okay, well, if, if this um, if this particular server in the auto-scaling group you know, hits a certain threshold or a certain CPU event in CloudWatch, which I'll talk about later on, uh, then it can auto-scale up and down. So you're allowing you know, you know, Amazon to just you know, increase and decrease the amount, amount of instances as needed. Um, purchasing options. So there's three types. Again, they're going to be covered in the future topics, but um, you know, just to very quickly mention there's you know, the typical on-demand that we're doing here. Uh, Spot effectively allows you to play the market a little bit you know, with how much you want to pay for your instances. Uh, and then reserved is what, you know, I certainly see a lot of companies go, well, at least they reserve a certain amount of capacity, um, so it's kind of more predictable cost, but, but Amazon gives you a discount because you're kind of guaranteeing a spend uh, in, a, in a certain, you know, certain instance types. Um, and then, uh, you know, looking at networking, you can kind of see, uh, you know, these are our VPCs that I can decide to provision my EC2 instance into. Same with subnets, and you can see here as well, we, it's showing us the different availability zones. So we've got the US East, but we've got 1C, 1D, 1E, 1A. Um, and so a number of other pieces here yeah, that, you know, will will be covered in, in future areas. Uh, and in storage, you know, again, this is EBS storage that you'll add here. So this is block storage. Um, and this is where you add it. So if we want to add new volumes, we can do that. but. Uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, think of this as kind of like the VMDKs that you add on to uh, your vSphere instances. Uh, and then a couple more areas. I'm not going to go too much into detail because we've got a lot, of, lot more pieces to cover, but um, I definitely want to mention tagging. I'd say one of the, the biggest mistakes I see in Amazon you know, launches at the same time, and, and certainly this will come up you know, on the exam it's questions around tagging, is you know, how are you going to maintain all these instances when, when they're launched? Right? Who owns them? You know, who's using them? Right? And if you don't start tagging very early, I would say that you know it can become a a big mess very quickly. You know my colleagues in the you know use our our lab. I think uh, you know we're pretty uh pretty clear. This is a, a fundamental thing that we have to adhere to, or else it, it just gets out of control very very quickly. So I'll just pause there quickly, maybe Chris, to see if there's any questions on EC2, maybe before we kind of get into some of the other compute services.
1: Uh no no we're we're good for, for EC2. Um, <laughs> Graham said thank you for saying on premises rather than on premise.
0: Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> passionate people about that. So. Right
1: right. Um, actually, uh, one one uh, kind of a segue question, which is which is interesting. Um, which programming language do you recommend to learn for a person with zero programming knowledge, which will help f- the most with AWS SA as fut- as well as in future AWS certs. Um. I was I was t- I was tossed up between Python, Ruby, or JavaScript, but I, I wanted to defer to you.
0: Well, I think we can uh, we can go down to two, and then we can phone a friend, right? So uh, I'd <laughs> say uh, Python or JavaScripts, where I would probably go. I'd probably lean yeah. Python if I had to say today, just because uh, you know when you're creating lambda functions, Python's a great way to just. Um, we'll Is it okay? That. Cool. Um, and JavaScript, I just see in so many cloud management tools, like you know the Cisco suites, the VMware suites, and. Yeah, um, you know, all of those coming out, but then also see Ruby too and things like write scales. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough one, but, you know, I think just learning one like Python, you're going to very quickly be able to pick up the others anyway. So if you haven't, you know, picked one at all yet, then maybe, maybe I'd, I'd probably lean towards Python if I was starting again today. Yeah. You know, and I'd say historically I started in the JavaScript area in this space, but uh, I'd probably, you know, go Python today.
1: Cool. Okay. And uh, Ankit had another question. Uh, is do you have a best practice for tagging? That's so. That's that's a whole can of worms right there. But that's yeah. Uh, do you have a best practice.
0: Uh, that question. Maybe I'll try and get back to it at the end of this time. But yeah. uh, I'll, yeah. uh, I'll, uh, I'll make a note here as well, and well. We'll try to address it. Yeah, we can probably talk for about an hour just on tagging, by the way. But uh, right. But it's uh, it's super important. Yeah. But I'll uh, I'll definitely come back to it at the end. Cool.
1: Uh, um, actually, one one more fast one popped up. Uh, Graham is asking any reason to avoid PowerShell. Um,
0: uh, I don't think so. I mean I think PowerShell um is very popular and you can you can still do a lot of PowerShell with AWS, so um I wouldn't say avoid it by any means. I just you know, I think you're probably gonna a lot of people I know just know PowerShell on the site anyway, I guess. You know, even I came from a Windows background and you know, sort of PowerShell I've used very often, I've used Power CLI very often and um but I, yeah, I don't think there's any harm in learning PowerShell at all. Cool. I think it's great language am very useful still today. And it's certainly I'd say you know, you're going to do Azure as well, potentially, and obviously we're focusing today on AWS Cert, but, uh, you know, I would say, you yeah, know, nothing, nothing wrong with learning it at all. Very useful. Cool. All right. We
1: are clear, sir. Thank
0: you. All right. Let's keep, uh, keep trucking along. Yeah. So I'm not going to do any demos on EC2 container service, and um, I don't think there's too much on it on the exam, Chris, if I, if I remember correctly. I know it was recently added, so, um, but um I didn't yeah, exactly. And I'd say it's uh, it's really, you know, Amazon now today is saying, okay, well, instead of you having to go and deploy a container hosting service, you know, they'll they'll host it for you and you can deploy your Docker containers do- directly into it. So, I think it's, you know, certainly powerful and a great way to, you know, experiment with containers as well, day one, without having to set up any, you know, container infrastructure uh, on-premises if you don't want to. Not that that's particularly difficult, but, you know, Amazon certainly sees there's a, there's a gap there. Um, Elastic Beanstalk is really, really interesting, and, you know, and I really like it from a from a standpoint of this is a way a you know a developer can very quickly launch a launch like a web application. So same area on the Amazon console, and if we go into Elastic Beanstalk, we actually use it. We've got a, like an app we demo in house, and it's called our AWS AWS Bag app. Uh, and what you'll see, you know, I'm, I'm not going to kind of provision the whole app now, um, but you'll see kind of our application versions here listed. Effectively, all we do is we bundle up our application, in this case it's a, a Python application that we actually have, we zip it up and we basically upload it to, uh, to Amazon, uh, to Elastic Beanstalk I should say. Uh, then what we can do is we can basically launch an, an entire, just create an instance if you will, instead of like worrying about servers and storage and everything, all of the specifications exist. In Elastic Bean Store, and, it, and Amazon provisions all the underlying infrastructure as well. Now they do this for uh, Python applications, Java applications, .NET applications. Uh, that's .Is in particular, um, and actually just .NET in general. I'm trying to think of the others that they have, but. Um, uh, I think PHP's on there as well. So think again, think kind of web applications. Um, and instead of you having to go and set up a server and set up IIS, you just tell the app developer, you know, hey, you can build your app and we'll just deploy it straight to Elastic Beanstalk. And then Amazon will actually manage all of the pieces underneath. So, you know, it's gonna deploy EC2 instances and everything it needs to kind of maintain that application. However, on the, what they do allow you to do, which is, which is great as well, is even if you deploy everything with Elastic Beanstalk, and then you say, okay, well, Amazon, you deployed that certain EC2 instance under the covers for me. I want to take ownership of that myself. Uh, you can do that, and then you start to actually um, you know, own those servers. One of the big uh, questions that I hear that comes, comes up a lot in this space is, well, what do I do about patching? And so Amazon actually released um, back in April, I believe it was, was minor and major security updates to all of the components uh, that they deploy. So if you say a Java update came out and, and you wanted to deploy it, you can actually tell it, okay, oh, for minor updates on this maintenance window, let's say it's 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, every fourth Wednesday or whatever you decide, it will just go and automatically deploy those updates for you. And then you can say, well, major updates, you know, I want to pull the trigger on those. And then, you know, you'd schedule your changes as well. But it, But it's doing all the patching for you. And I think that's Extremely powerful, and we think about as admins how much time we spend, you know, trying to schedule that stuff and get downtime and everything. You know, for some of that to be managed, that's not to say there's no risk involved. Um, but this is extremely popular amongst application teams, and you know, I think it's just going to continue to grow as as one of the services there. Um, let's jump into Lambda next, and uh, I think this is another another great one. Uh, I'd say th- you know, think of Lambda as serverless um, serverless architecture right so um, instead of used you know building a server and then saying you want to run execute some program on that server you know you kind of know whether it's a Windows or Linux server you probably know the server name you log into it you then execute on it or you run some tool to execute uh, execute remotely um, but that's ultimately um, you know what it's uh, what lambda is allowing you to do is actually just execute you know on demand a function and so a great example of this. Um, is uh, making like say a REST call uh, on demand, if you will. So we've got one here called Service uh, Snow Test One. So I'm going to click this one, um, and we actually can run a uh, you know test this function out. Um, and what basically it's going to do, let me just kind of jump out of here. Let's run test. There we go. Um, hit the test here. And what it's basically going to do is execute that function. Now while it's executed, in fact, it's already done. But I'm going to show you kind of kind of the code for this. So this is basically a, a python um, a Python piece of code that we 've written for creating a change control entry in something like ServiceNow now a lot of people probably use things like BMC and uh, you know CA as well, but you know great examples We took a, you know this code that you know, that I already had uh, then modified it uh, specifically for Lambda. so one of the things you have to do you 'll see the section on the top here um, is kind of just build this definition so, so Amazon basically understands it, and then this is basically. Um, my Python, you know, my payload, this is basically a REST API call I'm making. And then what happens is now I basically just said, okay, run that piece of code. I, haven't, I don't have to log into a server. I'm not putting that code on a server. I've just uploaded the code to Amazon and said run it. And it's basically executed. You know, I can see successfully uh, the status 201 here. So if I go over to ServiceNow and I just refresh uh, my screen on ServiceNow, uh, we'll see something here, automated change via AWS. Now this particular piece of code, we've written it so it says scaled our bag application due to load. So if we think back to EC2 for a minute when we talked about auto-scaling groups and how if a certain application comes under load it can automatically scale and, and add another instance, well that's great but how do, I, how do I make a change control record of that? And so this is a great example where you can tie a lambda function to an Amazon event, where the Amazon event could be like a CloudWatch event that says, you know, the CPU's been exceeded, and then it just goes and adds another EC2 instance automatically because of the auto-scaling group, and writes your change control to an external system now that has absolutely nothing to do, um, you know, with Amazon, you know, whatsoever. And I think this is where it's, it's extremely powerful, you know, I've been talking a lot, you know, actually, you know, at our tech summit a few months ago, talked a lot about, you know, just how Lambda is you know, what, what it means for orchestration, you know, because this is what we consider now event-based orchestration, um, responding to events and, and triggering functions that way. So I, th- I think it, this is really exciting for me personally, and, you know, I think a, a lot of people are really you know, jumping on board with it. Let me pause there again for a second, I think, because we just kind of finished compute, and then, uh, again, see if there's any questions. Chris, or we, we're still doing pretty good. I'm going to have a quick drink of water here.
1: No, no. Uh, every let me uh, let me double check all the different feeds. Uh, no, no. We are we are definitely you're running, trucking along fantastically, sir.
0: Okay, cool. All right. Let's uh, um, jump back to PowerPoint here. So let's compute there. Okay. So jump to the next section, and I believe we've got got somebody else presented on this in um, um, the next uh, few sessions as well. But let's uh, kind of talk through some of these. So S3, that's the one I'm definitely going to kind of jump back to the console and demo. You know, I think the best way to think of this is a um, just a bucket to store files. You know, you hear people talk about an S3 bucket. You know, another way to just think about it is really it's just kind of directories. You know, if, if you think about it, back to just your typical file system. If you log into Amazon S3, you know, we'll click on it here, it should pop up. You know, kind of jump into you know, take this demo bucket, and yeah, it only has one file in it, I believe. But you can see it's just like... You know, you create folders in your buckets, and you can, you've got your typical actions of creating more folders, uploading, I don't know, there's nothing too exciting about it, except to say that it, uh, you know, it, I mean, it's exciting because it's just available, and you, you can consume it without, you know, having, having to do much, anything on the back end at all, really, but um, I think, you know, it's extremely available, you know, I believe it's uh, up to two regions, I can kind of check my notes here, uh, not regions, sorry, availability zones can go down. Um, before it's kind of a you know offline yeah sorry lose up to two facilities and you'd still have access um, but one thing to note on it is uh, there's no OS installs so you know you know back to EC2 for example you know that's block storage you're still going to use EBS tied to EC2 for deploying your operating systems um, but you may use S3 buckets for storing various files and things and you could kind of see just in you know what I brought up there for a second you know you know, we use it for all sorts of things. We use it for applications. We've got cloud formation templates and things. You know, Elastic Beanstalk things stored in there. Some of those are created by Amazon. Some are created by us. You know, there's all uh, that's, that's all there. So that's that's kind of S3. Uh, let me jump back to the um, to the PowerPoint now. Yeah. So so CloudFront's very interesting. Um, effectively, a uh, local caching of content. So if you've got a you know, something publicly facing in one, you know, one region and you, you want something, you know, the experience to be better for people in another region, this is a great way to kind of do some, some kind of local caching. Um, Glacier is, you know, this is one I'd say that's also very common and uh, there's a company out there, uh, OneCloud, that's doing a lot with lot with Glacier. Um, but from the Amazon perspective, again, it's really about long-term archival. You know, it's three plus five hours. I think, Chris, it's like three to five hours, right? That's kind of the, the bracket they put around it. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, that, okay, cool. And that's yeah, and that's to retrieve. So the interesting thing you know, is if you just got a lot of data that you used to kind of you know truck off to things like Iron Mountain and tapes and things, you know, getting it up to Amazon and then maybe moving it from S3 to Glacier, you know, you can't retrieve it as quickly, but uh you know it's uh, it's very cheap. And that's the that's that's what they're going for there. Uh, EFS a new one, that's uh, basically like NAS in the cloud, um, block level storage. Uh, the one that you'll see kind of I saw recently, you know, Snowball basically documented pretty heavily, and I think I've got a uh, got an image here of it, or at least I can find one. Um, but I, I think this is really interesting because uh, clearly, you know, Amazon realized that like, getting lots and lots of data, you know, into the into Amazon, or even getting the data out and sending it back to you, um, you know, can be you know it can be a challenge, or you know, people have concerns about it today, and so. Uh, Snowball is really their answer to that. It's this giant briefcase of basically hard drives. Uh, it arrives and you basically, uh, you know, plug it in, um, you know, and connect it to your network and then you know access it. Um, but you know, it's interesting because it's this, you know, very, you know, safe briefcase, if you will. You know, it's not gonna, nothing's gonna get broken in there, and it even detects tampering attempts and things like that as well. So, uh, you know, that's basically what it what it looks like uh, looks like on screen there. Um, but that's pretty pretty interesting. Uh, other ones we've got there storage uh, gateway. So this is a VM that you run locally, um, that you know you can just use, and then it replicates your your data from your local data center to AWS. Um, and that's pretty much it for storage now. I mean, every, you know, I think this is an area they've always had a strong you know footprint. I think um, you're know, on the exam. Certainly, uh, EFS is new, and you're not going to be asked about it there, but Pretty much all the others. Uh, CloudFront, Chris, can you remember on the exam? I think you very least need to know about it, right? I don't think it's too detailed, but um, uh, everything else.
1: Yeah, just just the broad strokes. Uh, there there wasn't anything that um, the, they they didn't get too deep into you know timings or, or latencies or anything like that.
0: Yeah, so I'd say S3, Glacier, definitely need to know inside out. Yep. Um, Snowball to a degree, but again, very glossed over. EFS, don't worry about, and then um. Storage gateway. Um, certainly need to know about that one as well. So, okay, so that's moving off storage. Let's uh, you know talk a little bit about databases. So, you know, I think what we you know if we think about where we are in the layers and what we've talked about so far, we've kind of been okay. Well, I might deploy an EC2 instance and deploy an OS, and then I might install SQL IS on it. You know, if I'm not using Beanstalk, uh, but let's say I don't want to deploy a SQL Server, but I still want a relational database, and I just don't want to manage SQL anymore. In that case, what I can do is use something like RDS, you know, which is Amazon's relational database, and just consume it. You know, I would define my schema and, and everything that I would I would define in SQL. But in this case, I'm just saying, Amazon, you host this, you know, and I'll pay the pay the premium for that. Uh, DynamoDB, you know, is basically their NoSQL equivalent. For anyone who's uh, not familiar with uh, with NoSQL, very much, you know, it just looks like a almost like a flat file of text, if you will. Um, but it's a very common way, and for certain data structures and data types, you know, we, we see a lot of that now. Um, Elasticache cache is in-memory caching of databases. Uh, Redshift is your data warehousing. So in some cases, you make your Oracle kind of data warehouses and things. I've heard some people move those to Redshift. Um, and then DMS is their database migration services. So it's supposed to make, you know, getting into Amazon very, very simple. Um, you know, if you've got, like, a SQL server and you want to move it to RDS, you know, you might use one of the, the DMS services for that. Analytics, um, so, you know, again, this is where, you know, I would say I've probably got, you know, less hands-on experience, you know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of done this kind of on the app side, but I can talk about a few cases um, and certainly what these technologies are, but uh, uh, EMR is Elastic MapReduce, so that's your managed to do clusters, and this is the one where I would say, you know, I've seen people say, well, I don't want to necessarily run an experiment on-premises to, to just see if I'm going to use something like this. You know, you can just go, a failed experiment in Amazon for $10,000 or $20,000 on EMR uh, isn't that bad when you consider how much it would cost to fail that on-premises. On so, um, so Elastic Map is their, their big data option. Data Pipeline allows you to move data between services. Elasticsearch, this one's very common as well. Um, so, again, this is a search analytics engine. Um, Elasticsearch is, you know, pretty, pretty common out there from the open source side. And, again, this is Amazon's, you know, hosted implementation of that. Kinesis is your managed service platform for real-time streaming of big data. Um, machine learning is the other interesting one. So if you think about when you go to Amazon's website and then you, you buy something and then the next time you go there, it's you know, recommending 10 or 15 different products for you at the bottom. Um, well that's that's they actually use this technology on their website and they've just decided you know they're going they're making it available for people as well. Um, and then QuickSight, which is your business intelligence service. Uh, that's not in the test at all, but that's also in the uh, in the analytics category. Uh, security and identity, you know, this is another section here. So IAM definitely will be on there. Um, I don't think we're covering that in the third session, um, and that's you know definitely make sure you understand this. Learn about multi-factor authentication. Um, this is one that you, you're going to have to kind of kind of dig in deep on. Um, pretty much, you know, it's, it's users, it's roles, it's access, it's how do people get access to Amazon because, you know, security is such a top concern and so they're making sure everybody has has a has a background in it there. Directory services, active directory basically, you know, in, in AWS um, and we've got kind of your trusted advisor service. This is really a way of having Amazon look at all of your instances that are running and, and try and you know look for ways to re- reduce cost basically. So it's sort of, it's like you're, you know, instead of you... You know, not saying you completely get out of this, but instead of you sort of paying somebody to kind of look through your instances and tell you if you should be using reserved instances on EC2, you know, this is something that they can kind of do that for you. Uh, web application firewall, um, definitely a big, one, a big one to kind of be aware of. Um, and this, you know, this just allows you to you know, add security to your web applications, you know, so if you deploy something in Amazon, you can add these string matches and SQL injection matches and all these things, and, you know, it's going give to you, give you a lot of security there. Uh, Cloud HSM is not on the test um, as your hardware security module, but definitely you need to kind of just know about it. But Again, it's glossed over, but nothing in detail, uh, and certificate manager as well. So that's kind of what you've got in the, the security space. This, um, I guess I'll pause there again real quick because probably covered three categories there. Any other <laughs> questions? Did we jump into management here?
1: I I actually um I actually had a a pretty tough uh WAF question on on the exam. Uh, it, oh, yeah. I, I would I would encourage people to um to to read the white paper on on the WAF bits just to make sure that they understand all of the um all of the different matching criteria possibilities that you can use. Um as as well I mean obviously read all the white papers but you know um take take copious notes.
0: <laughs> there you go. Um do we have that in the v brown Brownback session coming up is that
1: uh, I, I think I think we do have a bit on uh, spe- speaking to to the security uh, particulars. Um, on, honestly, I've I've been concentrating on the on the part that I'm trying to do, so <laughs> I haven't all looked at anybody yet.
0: All right, Well, let's hit uh, hit some management tools, yeah, because I think there's there's a, there's a lot in this space. So let me, let me jump straight into kind of CloudWatch first of all, uh, which I think is a is a good one to kind of kind of hit you out of there. Let me find a Amazon console here, so. Uh, here we go. So CloudWatch is really kind of a, you know, think of it just as, as a monitoring service that's, you know, freely available to you. You can create alarms, you know, again, green, yellow, red, typical, you know, traffic light system that you have here. Um, and then various rules um, and things that basically happen in, in response. So, you know, you can see, yeah, just to kind of, you know, talk through what we did with Lambda earlier on. We saw I created that, that change control automatically. Well, that's, again, created... Uh, via a CloudWatch a CloudWatch rule, basically, and you can kind of see the event pattern here. So, you know, we're looking at when when auto scaling takes effect. Um, he has the detail type, you know, that we're looking for, um, and he has the auto scaling group name. And so this one's enabled, and you can see we've kind of written a description here. This is our auto scaling event triggers that you know fire a fire a rest call to uh, document the action, and then you can see we've got our Lambda function SnowTest1, That's our that's our target. So when that event happens. This is your target. Go and do this, and then no. And then basically, Lambda will, will run in response to that, and so so that's a it's a great way to kind of get some metrics. You know, I can actually also show this from a uh, kind of a, a demo standpoint in a video here or two that's kind of pre-recorded um, just from a demo. So in this case, you know, I've got a uh, a bag application. This is just when I say bag app, by the way, that's just a, it's a it's a dummy application that deploys a. Uh, a bag tracking application. So if you're flying from, you know, DC to Chicago and you check your bag in, you know, it you know it tells you where it is. This is something we we built internally. Um, but if we look at this, you know, I've got four instances running right now. And then what I'm going to do is go over to this load tester, which is Locust, and, and start a test, you know, on those on those web servers. So I'm simulating 2,000 users here with a hatch rate of 250 users a second. And and you know now it starts swarming. You know, I love the uh, the names of this tool and how we're hatching users and everything, so, uh, you know, rates per second, there we go. So you can see the failures, and I've, I've kind of jumped ahead here yeah, for, for time. Um, you can see, you know, we're getting failures now on that, on that web application. So now if we go over to CloudWatch, um, and that's actually a previous um, chart you see now, I'll refresh it here, and you'll see actually the difference. So you see, we're still tracking normally, you know, on this CloudWatch. This is the number of requests I'm tracking. If I keep refreshing it, you'll see, it takes about a minute, um, you can see that massive jump in the blue line, and that's showing CloudWatch is saying, well, look, you know, I'm detecting the, this increase in number of requests. Well, because those instances are in an auto-scaling group, you can already see on the bottom there, uh, you see that one initializing, uh, and it's already adding another node. If I go over to the, uh, the bag app, you know, it's still functioning again now because you know, it's, it's automatically added a, another instance and it's, it's able to still keep up with the demand. And then if we go back to EC2, you'll kind of see uh, as it's, you know, refreshing again here, we're actually up to uh, up to six instances uh, running now at this time. And if we go even a little bit further, I'm going to jump through here, uh, you can kind of see in ServiceNow again, you know, that automated change that got created in response to, to that Lambda, the CloudWatch event that triggered a Lambda function. And again, I think that just kind of shows you you know what cloud, the power of CloudWatch, and you can set all sorts of alarms. And if we just want to kind of look at our our major alarms, we can see them here. You know, these 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 are them there. And, you know, there's various data points, and again, there's request counts. So you can kind of set these thresholds. So and you know, again, telling it what to do when uh, when you go below, or what to do when you go above, right? So when you go below, do you take down an instance? When you go above, do you add an instance? You know, all those all those kind of things there. Um, so that's you know, I, you know, there's going to be a lot on CloudWatch. So Definitely just kind of play around with it. I'd say this is probably the one where just getting in here and playing in particular is probably the easiest way to uh, to, to get through it. Um, so with that said, that's kind of monitoring there. Let's jump into cloud formation. So, so cloud formation really is a way to you know, automatically deploy deploy a stack, right? So instead of you going in and launching EC2 or and then adding an S3 bucket, just think of any Amazon constructs you want to add. You know, I would do it manually first and then go and create a, create a cloud formation template for it as well. Um, CloudTrail, this is a, another one that comes up a lot is because how do you kind of audit and, and all the API activity, right? If we're starting to do all these things that are, that are automated, you know, how do, I, how do I go and view them? And CloudTrail is really really that place, you know, to track the user and the, and the API activity. Um, Then we got kind of config, this is sort of interesting because when when you sort of read the descriptions and go through it and and play with it, you know, it sounds very much like Puppet, but, you know, very AWS focused at this point. Um, But when you think about, you know, what they have got, which is OpsWorks, you know, this is Amazon's automation that effectively uses Chef, basically. It's their their hosted Chef service, I guess, is another way way to think about it. So, you know, I'll kind of hit this at the end as well on how we deploy applications, but, um, you know, definitely... um, you know, just a great way to say, okay, I don't just want to, you know, provision an EC2 instance. I actually want to put my application on top of it. OpsWorks is a is a great way to to do that if you're not going to use something like Elastic Beanstalk. Uh, and then Service Catalog is really, you know, a new catalog service that Amazon created So it's sort of like a self-service uh, portal you can go to. Okay, so application services. You can see there's a lot here. I hope everyone is still with me. It's kind of just, uh, you know, you just got to digest them all as best you can and just kind of. <laughs> I don't think there's any other way to go through this.
1: Yeah, it's tough. They're, they're all holding in here. They're, they're, they're troopers.
0: All right. <laughs> um, all right, awesome. So API Gateway, uh, very much if you want to expose your own API, so you could take like, that Lambda function. Let's say I wanted to actually, instead of using it internally, I wanted to offer it externally as a web service. I could uh, take that Lambda function and create an API, um, API for it using an API Gateway. AppStream is basically your Amazon equivalent of things like uh, like ZenApp, right? So when you are streaming an application, you're not like actually executing it locally. It's sort of just you know streaming the the presentation down to you, um, and that's what that's what AppStream does. Cloud Search is their managed search solution. So think of you know search functions and a lot of websites you go to today and you fill them in, and you know kind of comes up with immediate search results and things like that. That's you know their offering for that. Uh, Elastic Transcoder. Um, don't believe that's on the exam either, but uh, it's a media transcoding service. You know, so it's, if you want to, you know, exactly do that, change a media from file from one, one format to another, video and, uh, and audio. Um, then we have things like simple email service, send and receiving emails, simple and service, simple workflow and service. These are heavy on the developer certifications. Um, you'll certainly need to be aware of them on the solutions architect certifications. Um, but these are effectively, you know, instead of somebody building, say, a message bus. Or um, well, let's say when they, a certain uh, somebody goes to a website and does a certain activity, and they wanted to execute a workflow that then goes out to a bunch of workers, uh, the simple workflow service you know, allows, you, allows you to do that and is available there. Um, I'm not going to go through any of these developer tools. Um, I'll give you a quick highlights so on are Absolutely not in the test at all. Um, there's code commit, which is basically GitHub, uh, code deploy automates code deployment, and code pipeline is like your CI/CD, you know, continuous integration, continuous delivery. Uh, build, test, and, and deploy code. Um, mobile services ago, none of these are in the test from Mobile Hub. Um, Cognito is not in there. Device Farm um, is not in the test, but it's worth pointing out. I think this is a really interesting one because It allows you, let's say you're building an application for iPhone or Android or something like that and you want to test it on a real device instead of on just your software development kit that you're using and IDEs, etc. This actually allows you to push your app to a real device and actually use it um, and and test it out that way. Um, And then finally, the one that is there, though, is the simple notification service. And and this is the way just to kind of push notifications, So think of push services that you see today, very mobile friendly. Um, you can just send these notifications you know, directly from the cloud. Um, these ones are an exam and you know, I think these are great. You know, I'll, I'll cover the bottom two and then I'll kind of show on as workspaces here. Um, but uh, WorkDocs is basically Dropbox, so people are used to OneDrive and Google Drive, you know, same kind of thing. Um, and then Workmail is you know, their exchange service effectively that they've they've started to offer as well, their, their mail service. Um, but workspaces in particular this is one that you know Amazon's definitely pushing heavily. You'll see a lot of on the exam, and it's just uh, you know just seen a lot of growth in general. So you know, if you go to kind of Amazon Workspaces here, hopefully my desktop's still provisioned, or else we can uh, uh, yeah, still there. Um, you know this is basically a place where you can launch a desktop for somebody. So instead of you having to host things like Citrix and Desktop and VMware View, uh, you can basically just consume you know consume it directly from Amazon, and they'll they'll provision one for you. What happens is once you've kind of provisioned it, they give you a website to go to. So, you know, this desktop provision. Here's my client link, which I can grab, and here's my registration code. Um, this is actually the computer name. So this Windows uh, computer's obviously provisioned in Amazon. But I can take this link, you know, clients, uh, clients.amazonworkspaces.com, uh, punch it into my web browser. And one of the things to just do, yeah, you can see this is where you download the client. So immediately it actually popped to Mac OS. It, knew, it knows what OS I'm coming from. I download the client, which I'll launch in a moment. Um, but one of the things at the bottom that's worth noting is this connection status check. So we can click this uh, and what it'll actually do is run a check against all the Amazon regions to tell you which one it recommends you utilize for your Amazon desktop. So again, in this case, if I'm going to use my desktop, if I use US East, North Virginia, um, my round trip time from my, my Mac where I am right now you know, in Illinois is 47 milliseconds to basically connect to that, to that desktop. Um, but, you know, if I went to Singapore, you can kind of see it's going to be, you know, 214. So uh, I think this is pretty uh, um, pretty powerful in itself um, that we got there. To actually launch it, though, once you've got the client, uh, let's just jump up to workspaces here. Um, it's effectively just like, like a typical typical VDI client. I uh, punch it in and then uh, log in here. I I can remember my password for this. I haven't logged in a little while, but um, there we go. Um, so it's launching here. And then, uh, you know, up it comes, and now I have a, a VDI desktop, just like any other. So, uh, you know, I think this is, this is great if you just want to, you know, actually if you just want to give your, your grandparents or someone a desktop and a terminal that they can't break, it's probably a, probably a good use as well. <laughs> something you'd have to manage to manage it for somebody. It's, uh, I don't know. I can see a ton of uses for this. So. Uh, but, yeah, that's Amazon, Amazon Workspace. So that will definitely be, uh, be on your exam. Um, and so that, you know, there's one more area to cover and then we'll kind of get onto some of the, the theory of things. But uh, um, internet of things, you know, it's not in the test, but definitely huge grow air, growth area and uh, it probably will be soon, you know, the next wave of exams. So, you know, certainly just, you know, have a glance at it if you, if you get time. Um, so I'll just pause you Now that was a very, uh, you know, quick, but hopefully we kind of hit a little bit of detail on some of the services. But, you know, if you kind of look at the grid... Um, there's a lot there. Um, I think just make sure you have a base understanding of all the ones that are in the exam and then, you know, hit on hit in detail on the ones that we'll continue to cover cover through the brown bag. But, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with AWS, hopefully this this part at least was a good overview um, and then hopefully you can just kind of dig in deeper and deeper and, and just find ways you can stitch services together. So I'm going to pause there and I'm going to go talk a little bit about kind of planning and how you deploy applications using services. Um, I think, you know, that's sort of important is how do you use them even if you know about them. But uh, let me pause there and uh, pause. Yeah, any questions again, Chris? Uh,
1: Mr. Melhoy, were you talking to uh, Graham? Did you, did you I a
0: do, in fact. Uh,
1: there are two questions. One is does Amazon deal with the Microsoft licensing for any instances you start up or
0: do the customers have to deal with that? Themselves still. Oh, on the workspace side, yeah. So I um I don't have the answer there right now, but I can uh, we can post that one on the uh on the website. I believe they do. You know, when they spin it up, it's not like a Win Seven desktop. It's like the, you know if you've seen what they do, it's like two thousand eight R two or you know uh, twenty twelve for example. But um I want to get you a an accurate answer on that so we can uh post a reply on the website if that's okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And one other question, Nick, while you're uh, hesitating. Uh, can you tie workspaces to specific VPCs? You can, yes. And that was another question from Graham. Or no, I'm sorry, from
0: Gabe. Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, yeah, I'll get that answer to you on the uh, on the other one there, but uh, I'll just try. I definitely want to still hit tag, and I've got it still noted here to, to kind of hit as we get through. But uh, I think, you know, just an app, you know, from an app deployment and just approach for building IT services, you know, I think... Um, you know, this is kind of a procedure that you know, I certainly work through a lot as we... You know, there's kind of this onboarding approach to, you know, which services from Amazon am I going to consume first, right? So the so first thing to do is just prioritize it like you do anything else. Talk to the software development team, see what makes the most sense. You know, certainly you're probably going to start out on like EC2, S3, and, and just familiarity there. Next thing is really standardizing, right? You know, if you just look at those Amazon AMI files for EC2, there's, there's thousands of them there, right? Different images, different templates you can provision from. So you've got to kind of start to build a matrix of just things that you're going to consume from Amazon and, and how you're going to offer those in turn back out to your consumers of IT. Or if you're giving it to a developer and they're going to use Elastic Beanstalk, You know how can they just you know log in and consume, consume Elastic Beanstalk? So if you're kind of the Amazon admin, you've got to kind of think of your, your customers. Your developers are going to want to just get you know, very quick access, they want to deploy, they're hungry to get things up and running, in, you know, and all those things and infrastructure teams, you know, trying to kind of learn this, this sort of new world, if you will, compared to, you know, the, the management they've had before on, on-premises. Um, then it's kind of, you know, create procedures, do it manually, and then automate it. So I would say everything you do in Amazon, try to wrap a cloud formation template around it so at least you you have a reproducible way of just creating that again without having to go through the GUI, I think that's just, just a great way to kind of, you know, as you dive into Amazon. Um, and then finally publish. If you're going to use a cloud management platform, publish it, or maybe you're, you're going to publish it via, like, an API gateway through as an external service, but decide how it gets consumed. If it's manual, if it's automated, if it's under the cloud management, you know, I'd say decide on that. I think also just look at the, you know, this is a very infrastructure-as-a-service approach. If you think of this bag app that I've been talking about, you know, the way we deploy it, uh, deploy here is, you know, we have, um, if you look, think of these as EC2 containers in this case, but these could be VMware VMs or Azure VMs, but, but doing it this way in Amazon allows you a lot of portability. Um, and the design of this allows us to say, okay, I'm going to deploy one node uh, with a SQL server, so I'm going to do a MySQL server, and I'm going to do an app server. Uh, what I do is I deploy these using Amazon, so these are EC2 instances with CentOS 7, and then I use Opsworks to lay down all of those modules inside of that. So it could be Chef or Puppet as well, but just, just for the sake of an, an Amazon certificate, you know, would be certification, it would be would be OpsWorks. And think of these little tiny you know, um, blue boxes, the, the light colored ones as things you would manually log into the server and then install. You've deployed EC2, or how do I how do I get, get everything installed to make that app work? And you just keep working up the stack, right? So some of these are kind of infrastructure focused and then all the way up to the you know, the production side of the application and then the same on the right, you know, we deployed firewall profiles and things, we deployed MarlaDB and it's open source um, PCR, and then, and then we deployed our, our bag app schema and, and data there. And so that's infrastructure as a service. The next option might be, well, okay, well, I don't want to do, you know, I, I want to get out of the business again of managing SQL, uh, so what if I want to start to mix? And you can absolutely do that. So you can say on the right-hand side, I'm going to do a, uh, you know, I'm going to replace that EC2 instance, and I'm just going to offer an AWS RDS service in this case. On the left-hand side, I'm still doing my EC2 instance for the for the web server, um, and I'm deploying all of those modules using OpsWorks. So again, you've got kind of a mixed IaaS and, and, and PaaS version here. Then you can go all in, right? So you could say, well, I'm actually going to just deploy. I don't want to manage EC2 at all. I'm going to replace that EC2 and, and all the pieces I had there, and I'm just going to use Elastic Beanstalk to deploy that entire application. So, so you can see there's kind of just a, a a lot of options, and you've really got to kind of look at well, what's the cost of managing that that piece manually? You know, do I want to do it? Do I want to build it myself, or do I want Amazon to to manage it? And that's really kind of a design decision and a and also, you know, a cost decision as well and, and priorities with your team and what they want to manage versus, you know, what um, what you want to just pay for, for an external service provider like AWS to manage. The other thing to think about from a design consideration is really around auto-scaling that we kind of, kind of hit before as well. So if you think of the availability zones, if you look on the bottom here, it's that same application again, um, but what we've got on the left-hand side, and sorry, my slides must have an automated timer on there or something, but um, the um, on the left-hand side, we've got these uh, web app instances you know, over there, and we put them in this auto-scaling group, which you can see using the Elastic Load Balancer. Um, so you know, it's scaling up and down instances like, a, like I kind of mentioned earlier, um, but what do we want to do in case of failure is we've designed this application, architected it for AWS for failure. So in this case, you know, we've got everything running in US-West 1, but we're doing replication over to US-East 1. Uh, and we've got an RDS read replica over there as well, we're using Amazon Route 53 to, to kind of coordinate everything through to the, uh, the ELBs. Now, um, what's happening now is if this, no, if this left region, US-West 1, fails, what happens is US-East 1 can now just become the primary, um, and we start US-West 2 now, because it's US-West 1, we presume it's still unavailable. Um, is basically you know US West 2 now becomes the the replica and so this is just a this is a fundamental great way you know from an architecture standpoint to get sort of an immediate benefit from Amazon if you just think of the disaster recovery planning and everything and all the systems we'd have to touch on premises to do something like this doing this in AWS is you know far far easier and, uh, and so this is a, a great model there um, and obviously all provisioned using CloudFormation templates as well. And so I guess, you know, before I end off, you know, the final thing I would just say um, with all of this is a slide I kind of use a lot and it's, you know, really around, you know, I used to joke kind of five years ago, you know, when I was kind of working on an automation project, you know, somebody said uh, it couldn't be done, you know, I'd sort of talk to them be like, you know, we just put a rover on Mars this year, right? You know, how how can you say you can't automate backups or, or do, something, do something like that? And today I've kind of moved on. It's kind of a... Uh, SpaceX just landed a rocket vertically on a on a pad out in the middle of the ocean. So, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, I always have this motto of challenge everything. It doesn't mean what, what you come out with is, is going to be perfect, but at least uh, let's look at it and, uh, and, and experiment off. And I think Amazon, for me personally, kind of getting into it, just as a place to experiment and explore and try new things, you know, it's all available. And so even if you do, if you're going down a path of making Amazon enterprise ready, um, just going through the certification and just learning and playing with all of the different different pieces of it, I think it's just powerful in itself, and you'll, you'll just learn new ways to kind of piece things together. Exactly. And so with that, Chris, I have, uh, I've wrapped up the presentation here. So That
1: was, dude, exactly 61 minutes. Bam. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That was awesome, too. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, let, let me um, uh, ask the attendees, uh, any, any last questions real fast? Uh, we're not going to have a chance to get into Ankit's question about best practices for tagging instances. That's, that's a giant can of worms, Ankit. Um, I, honestly, Google best practices for tagging. Uh, it, it all depends upon your, your business, your use cases, what, what it is that you want to see, what are the things that are important to, to the, the users. Um, Nick, if you want to add something to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, the part of that, yeah, and sorry, I meant to mention that, you know, I keep, keep telling you I had it written down here, I never got to, right? But, uh, um, yeah, so I think uh, there's a couple of things. There's sort of, you know, I'll just kind of mention the high level, because to Chris's point, that we could talk for an hour on this. There's, there's sort of the drivers for tags in themselves, right? So there's the show back and charge back as a mechanism, right? Why, and there's project codes, there's who's, who's building the system, there's who's actually, you know, who does the system belong to? who's managing the system and so all of these things are really important and so typically I would say tagging is a combination of what do I need to tag in Amazon and what do I also need to tag and update in my my CMDB, whether it's ServiceNow, CA, whatever you decide to do there. And so ultimately once you kind of decide what are those drivers are, and what is your operational method for managing Amazon and how are you going to report on it, how are you going to do events off it, you know, and again this, it's an exercise I and mean, I'd say it's probably the most important, well one of the most important exercises in Amazon. Um, once you've got all of that, you'll end up with this matrix, basically, of you know, key value pairs. As well as I'm going to need to know, you know this from everything, every single thing I build. And there's tagging across EC2, tagging across networking pieces, you know, tagging across all different elements in AWS, as well as other things you still may potentially connect with on-premises. So I think that exercise, I think it'll, it it shows a lot of what's going on in the business in itself and what you come out with it is actually a simple list at the end, so it might sound overly complicated what I'm saying, but then once you've got that list, then you you basically go to work and you you make sure you apply those tags and apply them in an automated way, so it's not like, oh, I've agreed to do this tagging, but somebody's got to actually go into the GUI, find that item, and tag it manually, because then it won't be successful.
1: Mm -hmm. Nice. And uh, Ankit actually posted an answer to the question for uh, the, the WorkSpaces licensing uh, in the uh, in the in the V Brownbag feed. So if you guys look on Twitter and look and look under hashtag V Brown Bag, you'll see Onkit's, um, uh, rec, uh reference. It's basically the Workspace's FAQ um, that gives the answer for the licensing. Um, so so that takes care of that question as well. And Alphonse Coleman said the class was awesome. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> All
0: right. well, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, hit me up on Twitter. If, uh, I look forward to the next sessions. So uh, you know, I'm I'm excited for the series. And you know, thanks to the. The V Brownback team for putting this together because I think it's the most exciting series I've I've seen come out on Brownback. So I think it's awesome.
1: Yay! Awesome! Excellent. Well, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and uh, stop the recording now.